Smartcast. You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Welcome to the Investor Hour podcast. I'm your host Rahul Goel. The goal of this podcast is to learn from the best investment minds of our times. We want to learn their backstory, essentially what makes them them. We want to learn how they make their decisions in their personal lives, and of course. we want to learn about their core principles of investing essentially a lot of learning that could help you make better decisions in life and investing this week i talked to saurabh mukherjee arguably one of india's best known money managers in this fascinating episode saurabh reveals details of one of his biggest investment calls to date and how it changed everything for him we also talk about life family and fraud among other things it's an unmissable conversation here goes so uh sorb thank you for doing this my pleasure uh this is our first episode of the right. equity master mint investor hour so you're taking a little bit of a risk in that sense it's the first episode but then you are a risk taker after all <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think uh, i don't think doing an interview with you is is going to be a risk uh, you know i've oh, diligence diligence to enough i've researched you enough to make sure this will be a good outcome good outcome yeah as any good analyst should do research well okay so uh, from briefly what i read sure. so you were born and brought up in india yeah uh, you ended up in london for schooling uh, did your college there and uh, then you came back uh, to india so i have a lot of questions around that sure. so i know why you went somebody there was a line because your father was in a transferable job he moved to no, my parents migrated when i was oh okay three my parents migrated to the uk and that's how we ended up there Okay, wonderful. Fourteen is a great age to move move to a new place. You can still absorb a lot of things. You are still impressionable in that sense. And uh, ultimately, you landed up with the London School of Economics. Yeah. And you majored in, of course, I guess economics and any other subjects that you took that uh, had an impact on you. No, so I think you get to choose things like uh, economic history and um, and and a little bit of uh, politics, but primarily okay. it's economic economics and economic history. Lots of maths for better or for worse. Yeah, go figure, right? London School of Economics. You're focusing on economics. <laughs> no, I think it's so. I chose the more mathematical streams, which caused a lot of brain damage. But hey, okay. <laughs> there is only so much you know as an 18 and 19 year old. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you know, in retrospect, perhaps the maths has made me. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah, that's right. And and I think that's a uh, uh, that probably laid the foundation for a lot of what you've done. It's hardened you as a numbers guy, I guess. Yeah, perhaps I haven't thought of it like that, Rahul. But maybe, maybe that's where the numbers. <laughs> maybe that's how it worked out. The LSE is very mathematically oriented economics. Wow, interesting. And uh, when you graduated from London School of Economics, you worked for the London School of Economics for some time, or you went no, on. So to- there was a so so some of the professors from the LSE had formed a consultancy. Uh, some of the professors from the LSE and Oxford had formed a consultancy called London Economics. Okay. Um, so I I interviewed in a bunch of places. I got a few job offers, but the the job offer from London Economics looked the most interesting because they had asked the most interesting uh, questions in the interview. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where I went and worked for. Basically, these were uh, 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 ex academics who had created a economics consultant to a, a consultancy to advise British corporates, um, British regulators. Mm-hmm. on uh, on how to apply economics to business strategy how to apply economics to regulation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i ended up doing a lot of that so for example the tesco club card the tesco loyalty card was designed by was designed by london economics back in mm-hmm. back in 98 99 mm-hmm. similarly the the british financial regulators uh, first rule book uh, at the turn of the century a big part of it was my erstwhile employer so all of those projects were a lot of fun to work on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting and there uh, after that you moved on and you came on your own and you founded a company no so after that i became a management consultant so okay. anderson consulting called me this was okay. turn of the century i think high to the dot com boom anderson consulting called me and i also didn't know any better i thought why not join the world's largest management consultancy mm-hmm. so 2000 right at the height of the dot com boom i joined anderson consulting they went public and became accenture i still have accenture shares that they gave me at the time of ipo they've compounded very nicely and i worked there for 4 years 
mm-hmm. that's where you know i moved away from slightly more theoretical academic stuff to hardcore business mm-hmm. and from accenture sitting in accenture i figured out the the business model that i co-founded the business that i co-founded in 2004 with uh, uh, with uh, nick paulson ellis which was called clear capital mm-hmm. and that's where the core of the marcellus team first formed in 04 uh, 18 oh. years ago in in london mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very interesting so uh, so at some point you decided to come to india so i have a lot of questions uh, were you married by then when you took the decision yeah, so so the marriage story goes back even further so um, uh, i went to sc- school in delhi as i explained mm-hmm. um, it so happened that one of the uh, somebody else who lived in my building also went to the same school as me so we went to the same school from the age of 4 or 5 oh, wow. um, mm-hmm. and uh, she was a year younger and i was supposed to my job in, in school was to when on the school bus back home Okay. My um, my now wife used to fall asleep, and my job was to rouse her awake so that she got up for her fast. Um, so that's how we got to know each other when we were five years old. And then when when I was sixteen, when I was sixteen, uh-huh. I was on, on my uh, one of my trips back to India from London, mm-hmm. and um, you know that's when I thought it might be a good idea to do something something about the fact that uh, I quite liked her. Okay. And um, yeah, and we got got married in the year two thousand. Okay. 2008 is when we sold Clear Capital. Okay. So Clear Capital in 2008. Uh-huh. And at that time our son was 6 months old. And the logic I used was that 25 years hence or 20, 25 years hence when our son enters the labor market. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. So, so in 2008 I, I I told my my wife let's do a thought experiment that we're in the year 2025 2026. Mm-hmm. Right, and our son is entering the labor market. Would we want him to enter the world's third or fourth largest economy's labor market, or would we want him to enter the world's eighth largest economy's labor market? Right, and uh, and obviously logic dictated that if you can create opportunities for the next generation to work in the world's third or fourth largest economy by 2027, then you should try to do that. Right, okay. and that was the logic which brought us back to India. That you have to look ahead, not just 10 years. Mm-hmm. You have to look ahead 20 years. Uh, you have to think about the next generation, not just about yourself. And if you do that, it appeared to us to be a no-brainer then that you should uh, you should uh, move to India and raise your family in India. The long term is really coded into you, yeah? coded yeah. into you. And today, coded. it's even more of a no-brainer. So people who migrate outwards from India today, yeah, uh, you know, some people's case, I really understand the economic compulsions, right? It is a mm-hmm. uh, we all have to earn a living, and everybody wants to have a good life. Mm-hmm. but for people you know who are in reasonably affluent uh, positions who have studied in premier indian colleges uh, and who are who are working in good jobs so when they migrate from india uh, i am not so sure they do the dcf either on their future earnings or, <laughs> or on their children's future because again 20 years hence from now it's even more of a no brainer yeah uh, your, your kid should be working in india not in singapore dubai or europe or australia Yeah. Uh, 20 years hence, for kids mm-hmm. who are being born today, for parents who are becoming uh, uh, who, are, who are becoming pa- people for people who are becoming parents today, yeah, uh, it's a no-brainer that you should be raising your kids here. If 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 we were Chinese, then if I was a Chinese speaker, maybe you know I have to yeah. do I would have to do some little bit of an analysis, but I'm not, yeah. so it's a quite relatively easy analysis to do. Wow, you really thought through that one, huh? It was an easy sell, I assume, right? You convinced me well, on it. So, well, I mean, with benefit of hindsight, it sounds easy. In two thousand eight, it was a, it was a unnis bees sort of analysis type of thing. Yeah. But hey, we we discussed it as much as one can discuss yeah. these yeah. things. Yeah. Your your wife was open to the idea of coming back to India. Yeah, so my parents all the challenges of living in an Indian society compared to a <laughs> London society. Most of my family still lives abroad in the UK, uh, but my wife's family—they uh, live in India. So I think that that tilted the scales, I suspect. Yeah, yeah. Not entirely the logic. They were also emotional connections. <laughs> it worked out in the end. Yes, wonderful, sir. wonderful. So, so you came back, and tell me how Ambit happened. So, so when we came back, right, we didn't really know much about India. Whilst I had I had grown up here till the age of fourteen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither i nor my colleagues had really worked in india for for any length of time and hence how exactly corporate life functioned here uh, was something which was relatively alien to us mm-hmm. we deliberately took a little bit of time to to you know get to grips with the country uh, we read 
uh, you know, 70, 80 annual reports uh, understood how, basis the annual reports understood how some promoters were stealing money, went and met those promoters, discussed theft with them. Um, and this was back in 08, 09. Most of these promoters said, look, look, you've got broadly the right picture, but hey, here's a few other tricks you need to also learn about how we steal money from shareholders, from the public, from public sector banks, from foreign investors. So the first uh, uh, couple of years was a lot of travel. So we st- traveled as much as we could, had lots of uh, you know d- discussions with companies around their annual reports, around um, how both the negative aspect, the darker aspect is the theft aspect, the positive aspect is how do you build um, sustainable growth? How do you create enduring wealth? How do you create enormous outsized success? in what was and remains a, a fairly volatile uh, but but fast-growing country. So those two years were about learning. Then um, since summer of uh, 2010, summer of 2010, a friend of mine, uh, a gentleman called Alok Vajpai, uh, uh, someone I'd met uh, upon my return to India, Alok introduced me to Ashok Vadwa. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ashok and I had a cup of coffee in Ashok's office. Ashok being a, a former chartered accountant from uh, Arthur Anderson, me being from Anderson Consulting, with a strong interest in accounting fraud, uh, we hit it off immediately. And Ashok then said that, "Look, uh, do you think in the in the sort of quagmire that is the Indian stock market, can you build a broking business for us?" And we discussed it for a couple of weeks, and finally we reached the conclusion that it, it was worth my trying to build a uh, uh, an equities institutional equities business for Ambit. Thankfully, that did well. And from institutional equities, I was also asked to look after the the wealth management and the asset management parts of Ambit. Um, so the nine years we spent there were lots of fun. We learned enormous amounts from Ashok, from Ambit's uh, hundreds of clients spread across the world. Um, and yeah, that's, so that was that was the Ambit journey, right? You you got you got you got to learn. We got to learn from very senior people, both inside Ambit and the broader franchise, which I think is fabulous. I think Ambit, Ambit remains a fabulous franchise in Indian capital markets. So what uh, what I find interesting is that when you came back to India, you actually spend that time traveling and studying. With, I guess you didn't have a goal in mind of what you want. Yeah, I've never understood what the rush is for people, right? You know, you've yeah. got long careers thanks to uh, advances in healthcare. And thanks to advances in technology, most of us will be working into our 70s. My father, in fact, retired in the UK uh, last year, the age of 74. My 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 father's father worked till the age of 90. So I've never understood what you know what's the crazy rush to get things done in life. If you're lucky, the French are not listening into the podcast because they would be mighty upset if you spoke of longer retirement. Right. So <laughs> no, I haven't. That's why I didn't. I, I know that might be the reason I didn't migrate to France with my yeah. They're debating 63, 65 or whatever it is. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about Ambit. And primarily because I think uh, Saurabh Mukherjee became, uh, uh, he started capturing people's imagination. And some of it was triggered by a book you wrote. But, you know, books can only capture that much, right? But there was performance. Uh, There were those reports circulating, which were very well written. So, talk, so, one, I want you to talk to me about how did you come about to define those pillars around which you formed this whole approach to investing, if you will, to stock picking and doing business. So I want you to tell me stories from the back, whether episodes in the London School of Economics or in the bus you were going with your future wife. How did those, uh, uh, the, how did it unravel into leading you to do what you did at Ambit? which really set the stage up for Masters. Because from, from my perspective, Ambit is the defining moment. Masters is the result of that. That's so, an interesting perspective. I hadn't thought of like that, but yeah, I think very, very interesting point of view. So let me just sort of put it in three phases, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and like like you, as, 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 I've got, as I've got older, I've tried to introspect both about my life, my colleagues' lives, and we also try to understand when we invest in a certain company, we also try to understand the promoter's evolution, the promoter's antecedents to understand what really are the mental triggers, the spurs for a, for a promoter. So I, th- I think you know, three different sets of influences uh, that, that have, have played a big role, not just for myself, I think I suspect for most of my colleagues in Marcellus. 
Uh, firstly, we come from you know very hardcore middle class families, right? So if you come to Marcellus, you'll see most of our parents were doctors, teachers, professors, uh, public sector employees, SME owners, right? This is hardcore middle class India where you know families typically both mother and father absolutely grinding it out uh, uh, six days a week. Uh, on the coal face of the Indian economy, right? So from that comes a not just a work ethic. I think the work ethic is well understood, and I think and it's one of the great things about the Indian middle class. But also comes a point of view about the world that broadly speaking, if you do the right things in life, if you don't try to shortchange people, you don't try to take shortcuts in life. You know, you should get a good outcome. Not only so it's double, you should be doing the right thing yourself. But hey, Rahul should also be doing the right thing, and a, and a, and a, and a, almost like a, in the case of Americans, what they call a puritanical view, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a puritanical view that the rights should the right forces should prevail in the world. Mm-hmm. So, so that influence I think came from those fourteen years of of growing up in Delhi. Uh, my mom was a maths teacher, my dad was a, a structural engineer designing oil rigs, and as I said, almost everybody in Marcellus. But uh, let's let's just note you have another maths connection. <laughs> That's right, and there was a lot of maths in my childhood. We discussed that later on. Last, an absolute power. If you didn't do well in your maths test, you could have just had, you had it. So, so there's a big streak of that in most Marcellus families. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second layer was um, uh, when I studied his economics and economic history at the LSE. I realized that what was happening in India wasn't actually all that negative. That this was actually pretty much the way Britain industrialized. In fact, at a much slower pace, the Industrial Revolution took place in Britain at a much lower pace. Uh, America industrialized in a very similar fashion, right? If you look at America between, say, <clears throat> uh, 1850 to 1950, 1960, right? The 100 years, which was a defining century for American growth. It was very similar to what India went through after independence and is still going through. Um, and in fact, it was what India was going through wasn't even dissimilar to J- Japan's uh, economic evolution. And thankfully, um, in our years in London, both in LSE and thereafter, my wife and I lo- watched lots of movies about Japan after the Second World War. So mm-hmm. even if you watch Japanese movies of the 60s, mm-hmm. it feels very similar to Bombay today. Right? It's absolutely fascinating to watch Japanese movies of the 60s, right? Uh, slums in Tokyo, the local trains of Tokyo, kidnappings mm-hmm. in Tokyo, right? So, so this you, uh, uh, that sort of that whole set of experiences that education um, emphasized brought home to me that what India was on, this is I'm talking 10, 20 years ago already, mm-hmm. the, the Indian journey was actually a relatively assured journey of mm-hmm. economic progress and, and economic might. Um, and that 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 constancy, that reassurance that we are on the right path, I think, is the second influence which both helps us take a long term view in investing. Right, one of the reasons we keep reassuring our clients, and whenever uh, the media gives us chances, we reassure the public that look, just relax. This is broadly going in the right direction. Is that we've studied that history. And the third facet of it of it was um, the the CFA charter that most of us in Marcella studied for, and the rest of us who aren't CFAs are CAs. Mm-hmm. Right, the kind of the, the 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 accounting education we received mm-hmm. taught us the merits of looking for companies which are uh, a clean on their accounting and b generate a lot of cash flow. Mm-hmm. So, so that was in a way the final sort of technical education we received post university. That if you look for, if you learn how to read financial statements, and that, I think that's an essential skill for an investor. Yep. Uh, you should be able to figure out a who's stealing money. Mm-hmm. For obvious reasons, you should steer clear of them. And b, you should also be able to identify, and this is relatively easy to do, companies which are generating a lot of free cash flow, and you should gravitate towards them. So these three pillars, right? In retrospect, right? In, in Ambit, I wasn't as clear about it, but these three pillars, one from our our, our childhood days, the the middle class Indian morality and work ethic. Secondly, the less highly underrated but very critical. Yeah, and and and, and very critical. And and again, this links to the second subject. Yeah. If you know, and you and I know, and most people watching this know that roughly hundred million people in India are doing the right thing. That's enormously powerful. Very few countries in the history of this planet have had 100 million people broadly doing the right thing yeah. uh, you know we, you talk people say a few good people can change the course of history well in our country we have 100 million people changing the course of history and that's pretty powerful yeah. so economic history middle class morality and the final bit of technical education right which is you learn you learn how to identify 
uh, good yeah, skill part is necessary. You know, you can't do it. That's, right. That's your final bit of craft, you know, kind of technical education. And you bring the three together. You bring the three together and it's no rocket science. Okay. You bring the three together, it's it works. It's pretty effective. So I, I also, uh, what it's very logical, makes a lot of sense, right? But I wonder what, uh, what was the reaction of your friends uh, from your LSC group when you told them you're going back to India? Like, uh, they must be, you know, I, I, tell me. I, you know, so, I mean, I guess part of it, I mean, uh, from people who knew me from college knew I was a bit of an unconventional um, person. So, when I joined London Economics out of college, most people joined investment banks and management consultancies. And I said, let me, uh, let me join the economics <laughs> consultancy. So it's a running joke in Marcellus that whatever be the consensus be on the subject, please don't tell Saurabh of that because he's, he's not going to do that. Um, uh, um, if you ask me, my friends in the UK or my relatives, my parents were not the most surprised. I think it was the relatives in India who were a little bit more perplexed, right? And ironically, to this day, many of them remain perplexed that why do you want to live here? Why don't you want to live in um, London or New York? And, mm -hmm. and and I explain it to them in the terms I explained it to you. Uh, but uh, but it remains a source of uh, bewilderment, not just for my relatives, a lot of people in our country. So even in the apartment block we live in in Mumbai, most, uh, most of the elderly people in this building their kids have moved abroad uh, to pursue yeah. more luc lucrative employment, and um, you know I see it in two ways. I see it both as a as a challenge for our generation mm -hmm. to make the point that this is where the future lies, okay. but I also see it as an op opportunity. If high quality professionals are choosing not to work here, they're choosing to deploy their talents elsewhere. That means there's uh, less competition for you and me. As we build, as we build, uh, you know, thriving businesses in this massive market. Yeah, and I, I, I like the point you make because uh, one of the big fears these days is what they call the hollowing out of the society, where the where the children are going out. But there are enough staying back, and you know, good for them if they are so, smart enough to. So grab Twenty fifteen, my colleague Pramod uh, handed me Peter Thiel's book Zero to One. That was a pivotal uh -huh. moment in my life, and we've learned, you know, we've learned enormous amounts from reading Peter Thiel. Mm -hmm. He's a controversial figure, I know, and yeah. uh, uh, but hey, uh, uh, we don't have to buy into his controversy. We just have yeah. to learn from him. And one of the things he says is. If you keep doing what everybody else does, which is, you know, you try to go to the most prestigious colleges, Ivy League or IIT, IIM or Oxbridge, or, yeah. and then you go for the most prestigious jobs, right? You are making life incredibly difficult for you, right? A, you're not thinking for yourself, mm -hmm. you're mm -hmm. doing what everybody else does. Yeah. And B, you're succumbing comprehensively to mimetic, mimetic desire. Mimetic desire is, I have no preferences of my own, Rahul. Yeah. Whatever you do and your friends do and my friends I'm do, happy. that becomes my preference in life. So if everybody wants a flat on pedal road, boss, I also want a flat on pedal road. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is obviously a recipe for disaster in your personal life and even more obviously in business life. Right? Yeah. Unfortunately, for most successful professionals the world over, mimetic tendencies, the desire to imitate the in crowd is yeah. so powerful yeah. that it's, some, it's, some, it's something that they don't they don't sort of lose too much sleep about. But it, it's a huge destroyer of of time and and and, and shareholder value and your yeah. own. And and at its extreme, it's the is the is the cause of a lot of the fraud because people are under pressure to do stuff they can't afford and right. that's so, they get creative. So the person to then read on this subject is mm -hmm. Peter Thiel's guru, a gentleman who passed away, a French philosopher who's taught in Stanford, Rene Girard. Okay. Right, Rene Girard on mimetic theory, absolutely brilliant stuff. Right, uh, uh, Rene Girard on mimetic theory will teach you and me more about finance, more about business, and more about how to live a good life than uh, any amount of uh, you know books from business gurus will. Yeah, I'll be sure to read this. Sounds definitely sounds interesting. Okay, so we know what helped you form uh, uh, the the foundations of you know what made uh, Saurabh what he is today, and then uh, at some point you moved out of Ambit and founded Marcellus. Was it like a quick decision? Uh, you already had we spent a couple of years. So, so, so we spent a couple of years thinking it through my wife and I did because you know, it was, we were in a, you know, we weren't, when we moved to India, we were 31, I was 31, she was 30. Um, by the time 
2017 uh, by the time we 2017 i was already 41 so so you know one had to be careful the children were growing up uh, therefore uh, we had to be a little bit more careful but you know we thought about it for a for a couple of years in terms of could we financially take the risk and uh, once again you can understand right basis our mental mindset we did came to the conclusion that look i mean uh, we've got long careers god has been kind in terms of our health our parents's health um and uh, you know let's try to build something uh, the marcellus logo was designed by my wife and daughter 10 meters away from where we are sitting uh, wow. thankfully they did it free of charge <laughs> subsequently i think my daughter and my wife have have said that they have to be there has to be some payback one day i said you think about it uh so it was a loyalty for life <laughs> there, there is that yeah so 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 uh, so so to so the point of view was that look let's try this much as you know much as uh, we've tried coming to india and it's broadly worked out let's yeah. try to see if uh we can uh, if i can build a business which which can which can give uh, uh give, we can provide a type of service to indians which hitherto wasn't being provided also what helped was by the time i resigned from ambit in february 2018 ambit itself was doing very well uh, all the businesses uh, uh, were, were making money uh, firm was well established as you said and continues to do ambit continues to do very well and that you know gave me the reassurance that i'm not leaving a sinking ship behind i'd been hired to do a job i felt i had done the job of building that franchise mm-hmm. and it felt that it was time to try try something new uh, in a different phase of my life Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay then and then of course uh Marcellus I I I really don't want to talk a lot about Marcellus because I think everyone listening knows the success that it is and uh you articulated yourself on you know how you've done so I want to step back and talk more about uh Sorab what Sorab does right and uh so I have listed out some questions which I want to like go through so uh the first one which i wanted to ask you was why do you invest what's the purpose for investing Because a lot of the times i find is when i'm talking to people they're investing uh they're chasing a return and they don't even know why they're chasing a return and no matter what they get they're not going to be happy because there's no end purpose to it so i'm i'm curious to know uh what's your thinking when you're investing your wealth your money whether in masters whether in you know wherever you invest so yeah so the question you asked was very interesting why do i why do i invest and interestingly nobody's asked this question before mm-hmm. so broadly three sets of reasons for investing um you got two children you know the early teens they'll go to college in the next few years and that that education will have to be paid for so i'm, I'm really hoping that they go to college in india and they stay on in india mm-hmm. but ultimately it's their life and they'll choose what to do so my wife and i have decided we need to save up for that and it's yep. a process which has been underway for a few years in fact when we set up marcellus the, the main thing i was careful to do was that we parceled out a chunk of money which we invested in consistent compounders mm-hmm. for their education so some my self whatever else happens to marcellus this corpus which goes into ccp you know going to touch this yeah, will yeah. carry this this consistent compounding will carry on till our kids are through with university so that's the that's good plan yeah, right? good plan yeah mm-hmm. second is um, i presume some stage in the 20 years hence um, you know we will call it a day and my wife and i retire we, we fantasize about whether we'll be retiring to goa or kerala or the himalayas uh, mm-hmm. but uh, that also has to be planned for and paid for yeah. uh, i did a little bit of maths um, so when i when i when i uh, uh, applied for the license the investment advisory license for marcellus i had to sit some exams sebi has a nism mm-hmm. has these exams so they make you do financial planning exercises so, so in an idle moment i did one for myself mm-hmm. and to my shock and horror i realized that for anybody who is watching today if you want a middle class retirement in india nothing fancy swift desire swift desire car holidays to you know uti and kodaikanal and so on mm-hmm. uh, if you retire at 60 and you die at 85 to fund a modest middle class retirement you need 15 crores in financial assets at the point of retirement in today's money terms wow. so if you're retiring 10 years hence inflate that 15 crores with with inflation yeah. right mm-hmm. so so that's the second number which has to be saved for right at least that's 15 that's a big number <laughs> a big number and 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 I, i don't think too many indian families realize yeah. 
that that's the number you need for a modest middle class retirement right if you want a fancy retirement dubai ka holiday or something like that then think of a number with a 3333 in front of it and perhaps at least 10 after it yeah. um the third layer and you know we only time will tell whether we can do something about it so my 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 father's parents uh, both of whom have passed away they are uh, they migrated from bangladesh uh, in 19 uh, what is now bangladesh in 1947 jan 47 they migrated and uh, and my my father's father became a very successful lawyer in kolkata mm-hmm. uh, but my father's mom uh, through the 50s 60s built up something called the refuge in kolkata so she passed away 23 years ago but the refuge continues as a orphanage in kolkata thankfully one of my mom's side relatives uh, 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 my mashi as we call her mm-hmm. right my mashi looks after the refuge um, uh, but the refuge needs more funding and hopefully um, uh, if uh, you know both time health and circumstances permitting uh, what my grandmom started uh, what my mashi is continuing what my aunt is continuing hopefully myself and perhaps you know my children will be able to do justice to it because there remains tremendous need in in india there remains tremendous need in every part of india so that's something we aspire to at the moment our, our donations to the refuge are fairly modest um, uh, but hopefully uh, if if uh, life pans out uh, we'll be trying to do something a little bit more substantive in that regard so those are really nice goals education retirement and you know helping people so those are great goals or i must say and uh even though you know you you make it sound light in terms of how much how you plan but this is great planning right because these are the most essential goals that anyone can have and uh, so i'm going to steer clear of asking you where you invest i have a goal not to go there <laughs> i'm going to stick to fundamentals and that's where i'm going to stick okay so uh my next question uh let's talk about the same thing when you were investing money so you i'm i i assume you've been investing for many years when you were making money so i want you to tell me one big mistake that you made and what was the lesson learned and also tell me a success and what it taught you so the biggest mistake right mm-hmm. by far my biggest mistake was after we moved to india mm-hmm. like i suppose millions of others you know i became very afraid that what if something happens to me what happened to my family right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and whilst i knew from my education that buying a term life policy is the way to go uh-huh. right i still somehow was coerced by a coerced cajoled persuaded <laughs> by a financial advisor or a ulip <laughs> yeah into buying a uh, ulip uh, from a prominent public sector insurer wow. right it was a big uh, big annual premium number uh every year that june i used to make the annual premium contribution mm-hmm. and it shown me a set of numbers that you know if you die five years hence aapke family ko itna milega etc yeah, yeah. um um so i think i bought this policy in 2010 or 11 Mm-hmm. and you know after four or five years i did the maths on it and said this is crazy uh, i'm compounding at 6-7% even if i put this money in an fd uh, i'll be better off right so so i um, called up the agent and i said paisa wapas do as you know in these things they they take away a lot of your money so so i said i don't care whatever you want to take you take rest of it return it right and and i lost you know lots of money in that but thank god i take took it out and invested that money in and marcelus's consistent compounder so that was the biggest mistake um because of uh, my education and because of my proclivities towards equity investing whatever successes i've had have been around equity investing some of it is the stuff that i've written about in mm-hmm. in diamonds in the dust or in coffee can investing mm-hmm. and some of it has been whatever uh, com- uh, combined by macroeconomics education with equity investing mm-hmm. and broadly been able to invest in high quality stocks at at junctures of the economic cycle where everybody else has run away from stocks um, but but uh, the disaster was that ulip sold by a public sector insurer so you know uh, at the time when you were sold a ulip uh, i used to run another division of this company uh, called personal fn which was basically meeting people one on one and telling them how to manage their money and uh, we had branches across the country not many a few but across seven eight cities and you travel and meet people and it was shocking at the number of people who had been sold ulips mm-hmm. who didn't even have a clue 
that uh, where they had uh, you know money had gone yeah. and i even found some very old people in ulips Right. they would have never made money and you know they were paying those high commission fees i have some crazy number they were paying and uh, it it's just a very sad episode uh, and all along you know warren buffett's been shouting from the rooftops warren buffett's a hero here right everyone's read him everyone covers him but yet you know people fall for the big numbers that are shown on that yeah so i think i think what they cleverly did and in retrospect i also learned from that sales pitch that you basically the advisor sold me security and assurance of security mm-hmm. and i didn't do the basic mathematics on how poor the product was i fell for the assurance of security that this uh, public sector insurer was providing yeah yeah i think uh, i think sir you know this uh, this point that you mentioned about public sector i think it's a very indian thing like uh, when when my daughter was born uh, the first thought i had is should i open her bank account in a public sector bank right i i don't know what it is and yeah. and uh, we've had a private sector in india for decades you know the banks are great some you know the institutions are great so many of them and yet we it's just socialist, yeah, it's a socialist hangover i guess it's yeah we just hangover. believe that like i my first medi claim public sector <laughs> you know <laughs> and uh, you know i i just and i think you know in there are enough examples of where the public sector is disappointed for example uti if you remember the unit unit 64 scheme right the people who put in money they lost money a lot of them lost money so i think there's a broader point here right uh, uh-huh. in our country in our society mm-hmm. form is more important than historically form has been more important than substance okay so if uh-huh. your form is respectable your public sector mm-hmm. whether you have substance or not we don't count so much if you've gone to a prestigious school or a university form has that's Substance, right yeah. so so that change is also what drives a lot of suboptimal decision making whether it's you know migrating abroad or buying public sector that's stuff that's interesting point yeah yeah and and society why why are society why why is form more important than substance in societies because if in a society information discovery Mm-hmm. It's perfect, and in fact, if information discovery is low, then obviously you don't know the substance. Mm-hmm. You have no means of finding out the substance, so you go with the form. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and gradually, as as information becomes more widely available, whether it's yeah. because yeah. of these things or whether it's shows like yours or books like mine, yeah. as information becomes more widely available, as people become better educated, uh, uh, form will lose away to substance, okay. right? And and the brand name will matter less. the actual package the substance of like yeah. looking at a more yeah yeah and I, i think that's that's what the revival is all about of a society that's right that's why i'm saying what I is call right. the, yeah. i call it the remaking the remaking of india remaking of india yeah. you lose you leave form behind and you say yeah. substance kya batao yeah yeah that'll be a nice day it's happening i can feel it but yeah, lots more need to happen okay my next one to you uh uh name me one investor you admire the most i think you get this very often but i'm going to still ask it because i'm going to ask more questions on that so we've learned a lot from bharat shah ji uh, 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 oh, uh, who was who used to run the famous birla advantage fund and so he's been at ask for the time then, i have been at ask uh, okay but my dad we spent a lot of time with him we've learned a lot from how he's thought about indian investing um and and we continue to be a uh, we fans of what bharat shah ji has done for ask and what broadly speaking even ask has done in the pms industry i suppose again with the benefit of hindsight it's no surprise that we decided to set up a pms uh, we've also learned uh, learned a lot watching uh, 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 in in the broader indian context investors like dn manjunath the first mutual fund manager in india back in the 80s someone again we uh, I, i wrote about uh, manjunath ji in uh, in my first book gurus of chaos and and he's he's remains a source of huge learning for us um, Uh, we learned learned uh, from akash prakash at amansa again i wrote about akash and his success at amansa and his investment philosophy in gurus of chaos um, and then amongst the foreign investors uh, a massive influence for us has been the stuart investors team uh, uh, held by angus talak formerly out of edinburgh angus is now retired now uh, david gate and sashi reddy uh, i think david is in australia sashi is in singapore their focus on saying we will not invest in unethical companies anywhere in the world they can be companies could be unethical because they are stealing money mm-hmm. they could be unethical because they are selling products which are unhealthy for their customers 
they could be unethical because they're polluting the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was way before they taught, they, 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 they fought, they've been following this principle way before ESG became uh, fashionable. Um, so from Bharat Shahji, we've learned the importance of moats, long-term mm-hmm. investing, don't get too lost in this macro stuff, ki federal reserve kya kar raha hai or piggy multiple kya hai. From Akash Prakash, uh, the focus on on high quality management teams who are on uh, you yeah. got on mute. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. So from Akash Prakash, the emphasis, the, the importance of investing in high quality management teams whose businesses are on long growth runways, uh, and from the Stuart investors team, uh, from David Gate, from Angus Talak, from Sashi Reddy, mm-hmm. the importance of investing in ethical companies, um, and and and, the, and those years in. Uh, there was years an ambit of writing, uh, writing books, meeting these people, uh, uh, re- reading up on their investment practices. Uh, incredibly rewarding years. And to be honest, that's I think the biggest privilege of being an investor. You get lots of time to read, uh, you get time to write, and um, you're, you're doing a job there. With age, you learn and hopefully become better and wiser. So here's one. Here's the thing that uh, surprised me in the people you mentioned. Uh, you mentioned all the people who you actually have a relationship with, right? Right. Uh, a lot of people, uh, even I, if someone asked me who do you admire, I would probably mention Charlie Munger. But that's what I see of him in the media and what he says and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but you're mentioning people who you have a relationship with, which gives you the opportunity to allow them to meaningfully impact your life you know, in a very personal way. Yeah, and there's, I think there's another dimension to it, right? So whilst like millions of other people, we are uh, fans of what Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have done and indeed of other, you know, American masters like Howard Marks, um, there are significant elements of investing in India which are very different, very which makes investing in India very different from investing in America. Uh, and with the best will in the world, these gents in America, they are rightfully focusing on investing in the American context. And therefore, if you try to take what they're doing in America, you apply them in India, uh, you apply their American investment principles in India, I'm not so sure how far you will get. So the people I mentioned have spent 20, 30, 40 years in Manjunaji's case, 40 years mastering investing in India. But because they keep it quiet, because yeah. Yeah. is not you know, shouting out from the rooftops and he doesn't hold an annual convocation mm-hmm. uh, telling the world uh, his thoughts. Uh, 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 others don't appreciate what Bharat Shah, Manjunath and Akash Prakash or indeed the Stuart Investors team represents. But they have spent 20, 30, 40 years mastering investing in India, which with the best will in the world uh, is something that I need to uh, focus on. That's, a interesting, that's a, yet another interesting takeaway. Uh, uh, and I'm sure you know people are listening and watching that uh, you should keep in mind about, uh, you, you, you can idolize people across the world, but you have to give an extra plus for those who are really who, who are in the market you're operating in because their nuances which they would understand better so you know you i think yeah. you have a good mix so if you them. if there was you know, like, you know there's master chef in various countries right there's master yeah. chef australia there's master chef india right yeah. so similarly master investing master investors if you created a franchise and perhaps somebody should right master yeah. investor, right it would be a different show in india yeah. compared to what the master investor show in America would be. And perhaps for self-centered reasons, selfish reasons, my list of Indian master investors is different than the list of what an American, uh, uh, someone living in America might have. Yeah. Since we are talking of Buffett, right? Buffett is like a universal guru, right? Whether we want him or not, he's the guru for us. And he had his AGM recently, of course. So he's even more in the news. So if you were to bump into Warren Buffett, right? What's the one question you would ask? Why did it take him so long to buy Apple, right? And how did he finally build the courage and the conviction to buy Apple, right? So from what I've read, Apple is the stock that has made him the most money. And yet uh, he invested in Apple not very long ago, I think 10 or 12 years ago, right? No, not that far. It's probably like four or five years ago. Right, so there you go. So he yeah. had the company, right? So so yeah. both both levels, it's a remarkable investing. Firstly, it took him quite long to get around to it. And secondly, mm-hmm. he did get around to it when optically most of us would have said 
the P multiple is a little high, right? That's a kind yeah. of typical Indian refrain, P multiple yeah. high looked high. Um, so it was a remarkable investment for someone in the, uh, in the fifth or fifth decade of their career, sixth decade of his career, perhaps, to invest in one of the world's great tech companies when it's already great, supposedly already discovered, mm-hmm. supposedly already at least fairly valued, if not overvalued. Um, why why did it take him so long? What finally led him to it, and you know, and how did he overcome the standard refrain that people like us get a lot? Ki ye to manga lag raha hai. Yeah, you know, that's the, the most amazing thing of the Apple purchase was that all Buffett followers believed tech is a no go until the day Buffett revealed he had bought a whole chunk of Apple. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that shows also the greatness of the man. Yeah, he's willing to uh, you know evolve. Right. His followers did not evolve, I think, uh, you know, right. until they just followed his lead even then. And I think that the lesson for, I suppose, all of us is that uh, we all have to be, mm-hmm. uh, we all have to be uh, uh, adaptable in our thinking, yeah. right? Uh, we can't say these are my three tenets and it'll be like this five fifty years hence. So if he can invest in Activision, yeah. invest in a gaming company today, um, in the age of 92, um, uh, and interestingly, Microsoft is all, has, has gone and acquired the company. Mm-hmm. So, so there's enormous amounts to learn from, 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 from investment gurus the world over, and especially that focus on learning, reading, That's right. hard work, yep. and in a way, the willingness to disregard mm-hmm. you think of them. Right. Uh, uh, not just the Warren Buffett, even the Indian gurus I mentioned. Mm-hmm. I don't think spend too long thinking. Okay, we are still uh, sticking to Buffett. So one of the questions that keeps coming up is uh, who who after you is going to run the ship? And now, of course, he's decided Greg Abel will run the ship, etc., etc. Now, my question to you is that in your household, we're still sticking to the household. We're not going to masterless. We're not going anywhere else. Uh, how are you introducing your kids to the world of investing? And how are you prepping them to take over your consistent compounders, your personal consistent compounders over time? So look, I think COVID was a blessing in disguise in that regard. So in, in sort of 10 meters around where I'm sitting, I sat and worked for two years and in the room next door, room, one room that side, one room inside, they sat and did their schooling. So obviously both That's at lunch yeah, they, so they heard about free cash flow and ROC and uh-huh. and, and the relevance of PE multiples and how mm-hmm. monopolies are built and so on. And uh, and and you know the re- 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 they're relatively grown up in the early early teens, so they could figure out that, that since uh, our father says the same thing day after day for, <laughs> for years, it must mean do, something. Let's check there it must, out. Yeah? There must be something in it. And uh, and I think that's how so my daughter now. Uh, 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 my daughter now bakes two fudge brownies every evening. I try my best to eat one of them, but I'm not allowed. Okay. So she sells. So she sells. So she makes them for around twenty-five to thirty rupees. Okay. And she sells them in school for around fifty rupees, right? Wow. And, and, That's uh, a business we all want. A hundred percent margin. <laughs> and she's she she discussed this extensively with her mom, with myself. She figured out the raw material cost, the cost, the power. We also asked her to attribute some cost to the the oven, uh-huh. right? She said, oven ka bhi karna hai. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she's generating free cash flow. Um, she's uh, read. Uh, that proud? <laughs> she's read Kainaz's story about how Theobroma was built as a Theobroma near her house. She's seen mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So, so she, she had a, she has a love, she has a desire to become a pastry chef, but okay. uh, for better or for worse, that desire to become a pastry chef gradually is getting aligned. Mm-hmm. Uh, a desire to also make it a very profitable venture. Yes. Time will tell, you know, whether the pastry chef part of it dominates or the businesswoman part of it dominates. Yeah. But uh, this again goes back to the remaking of India. A generation is coming through. A generation of kids are coming through, uh, and, I, and I see a lot of this in the youngsters in Marcellus. Mm-hmm. They honestly don't really care, you know, what the uh, Americans are doing today, or the Japanese, or the Chinese. Their point is we point of view is this is what we and we are doing in India, and this is cool, this is the right way to go. Um, our generation didn't have that sort of confidence, and our parents' generation certainly didn't have any of that confidence. Mm-hmm. I think that you see this through coming through as the kids, uh, thanks to YouTube, thanks to social media, thanks to books, mm-hmm. they learn quicker, and uh, and you know we're seeing that also in the rise of the unicorns. In this process, when your daughter was going through this, 
was there any piece of advice you gave her said just you know think about the complete futility of formal education and focus on the practical learning that you can get from the real world so i started working when i was 16 in the uk mm-hmm. uh, i went to school and lse and so on but i kept from the age of 16 i've, I've been earning money mm-hmm. i emphasized upon the, upon her the need to start earning money quickly and the uh, the sort of relative the, redundancy, the, the i won't say the futility of formal education but the the fact that formal education now means a lot less than it meant 30 years ago when access to knowledge was restricted to universities yeah. mm-hmm. right and and, um, and you know we leave it to them to decide whether they want to go through formal education and where they want to go through and what uh, format but but i certainly hope is they will not get wedded to you know pursuing this or that degree the credentialing obsession Mm-hmm. credentialing obsession that our, our generation had ki ye qualification hona chahiye engineering doctor data accountant cfo going back to the form oh, absolutely lovely yeah. right this yeah. emphasis on form uh, uh, is uh, is something that we need to do less of linking yeah. it to peter thiel the more you obsess about form the more mimetic you are yeah. and the more you get locked into substance the more original your thinking will be yeah. so uh, lockdown there was a lockdown lockdowns over you're back to work and let's say you know your wife comes to you and says you know what we spent two years at home i've saved up a lot of money i just found about a crore of cash lying around let it be whatever amount what should i do with it what would you tell anyone with surplus cash right now i think, uh, I think the advice both at home and to whoever has surplus cash invest you're not going to live none of us are going to live too many times in our life in a country where you have a 10 20 year horizon where if you do sensible investing there's a very high chance you'll compound in the high teens low 20s right and 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 if you just have a little bit of patience in terms of foregoing jam today you're going to get an awful lot of jam tomorrow right now you might say nay boss i want the jam today and i want to go on a luxurious holiday to the maldives mm-hmm. or whatever italy and so on and you know everybody deserves their slice of luxury yep but uh, just be careful about how much luxury you seek because as we discuss it at home the maths i do is every crore burnt today is 20 crores for gone uh, yeah. over the next 10 years that kind of thinking simplifies so much right the decision making process if anyone who understands yeah. right? i think that's the nice way of putting it perhaps that's what i might put it differently <laughs> <laughs> okay uh yeah or oh, this is i don't have the date i meant to ask you this question i don't remember yeah. the date but do you recollect the day uh, where you were and what you were doing when lehman went bust yeah yeah very and, and what and what thought did it trigger yeah. like so 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 in a way that the story is linked so 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 around 8th jan 2007 mm-hmm. 8 jan 2007 mm-hmm. i was sitting with my guru in london sir john k right mm-hmm. uh, he was the chairman of the comp- of clear capital mm-hmm. and john used to give me a cup of tea every other month and i would just he would ask me questions about the british economy and stock market and i would answer and so so basically i won't get into the q and a but basis john's q and a around 45 minutes minutes into that q and a on 7th jan 2008 i realized that the british financial system is going to blow up mm-hmm. so so that was 7th jan i think 28th jan or 1st february 2007 we published our first note explaining how the british financial system is going to blow up okay. like mortgage backed securities uh, abs mbs which lenders were exposed how badly they would blow up and so on and then throughout 07 we got our clients to sell 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 and sell some more right mm-hmm. um by jan 08 year hence we realized that america is going to blow up so that's when we decided let's sell the company i still remember first week of jan 08 nick paulson and lesson i discussed let's sell this company we're heading towards a almighty financial blow up in america which means the rest of the world and um, and and that sale took place somewhere in early may 2008 and as i said there after we migrated to india um so from may 2008 onwards i was sitting in bavai mumbai watching the world blow up having thankfully sold the company um, this flat that we live in owes a lot to that exit so in a way the flat that we live in owes a lot to us being able to preempt lehman brothers by one and a half years um 
so so as as june july 08 wore on and the world melted down not not that surprised us because we had done the mathematics we got our clients out with preempted it um and that was one of the reasons for not you know being in any great rush to mm-hmm. being in any great rush to set up a company uh, upon arrival in india so they spending time traveling mm-hmm. so i remember the day limon so, uh, i live in pavai and pavai had a limon office the indian one of their indian offices was in pavai right so i remember walking past it that afternoon saying there will be a lot of people in this office who be looking for a job right uh, and and i also remember that i have some friends who work there so i called them and said you know uh, it must be a tough time but hey, if there's anything i can do let, let me know um and then you know we watched as the world melted down we watched as the world fell um uh, next 6 months we continued traveling mm-hmm. um first march second march 2008 mm-hmm. i was in delhi Uh, uh there was a cii conference where where uh, thankfully i managed to get in mm-hmm. and the then government of the day the then fm the then um, chairman of the planning commission deputy chairman of the planning commission um the then fm uh, and the economic secretary were fielding questions and they were briefing the cii audience about the health of the indian economy and i remember telling myself first march 2009 that this looks like a completely lip you know mouth wateringly uh, tasty situation indian market down 60% mm-hmm, mm-hmm. economy in decent shape and uh, and you know, didn't take a genius to figure out that the economy was in decent shape mm-hmm. and um, um, uh, and you know that's when the bull market began that's right and then a year into that bull market i joined ambit so yeah so i remember very clearly i was walking in power even leaving you got that's a brilliant call you made here yeah, on uh, you existed a year and a half i guess initially it must have been a little painful because the, probably the markets kept moving in the opposite direction for no, some no, more no. time so, so so what happened was uh, first I have to pay the price for every good call <laughs> no, so 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 never you never lost that much sleep about the market but here's what happened right and this this we've lived through this again and again so these are experiences that are burnt into our psyche mm-hmm. so I think 28 Jan of 1st February we published that first note on a big fat note on how the British financial system will blow up it was called risk amplifiers on full volume right so I was 31 then even today when I read that note mm-hmm. right it sort of gives me goosebumps right when and I read that reread risk amplifiers on full volume now within 2 days um, HSBC used to have a subsidiary in America called Household which was a mortgage lender Okay. so household published awful results within 2 days and that's when we knew that that uh, mortgage lenders are going to blow up generally across the world and uh, within 3 uh, months um, uh, 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 mbs uh, structured structured finance vehicle started blowing up in america in france mm-hmm. and then it was just you know just question of one domino falling after the other mm-hmm. by the summer of 07 uh when we used to go to say various family offices or fund houses in london to present the summer of 07 we would enter this a large fund house there would be a riot within the fund house mm-hmm. to listen to us and i would say you know we've already written about it for the last 6 months mm-hmm. happy to tell you guys you don't have to fight mm-hmm. if you want we can break it into two meetings there are not enough yeah. seats in the room but it was both you know we were very young 31 it was both interesting to see the the panic unfolded in front of us a panic we had prophesied and understood mm-hmm. but it was also quite unnerving especially when i looked at the older fund managers right who were in the 40s 50s and and he looked at the, the sort of fear written large across their face um, um so it you know it was it was that those two years very similar set of circumstances through 2017 2018 right mm-hmm. 2015 i remember we wrote a note when i was in ambit saying the real estate sector is going to blow up the indian resi real estate doesn't really have a future mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 2017 we said uh, nbfcs are going to have trouble and then and it, you know it's relatively easy to do the maths and we keep telling people in 2018 uh, ilfs happened uh, the the hfl ilfs then yes bank happened and these are fairly predictable cycles you just get the hang of it and you just decide you're making it easier than it sounds uh, because it's a lot of work but uh, 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 good calls that you spoke of uh, the finance minister speaking at so i have a question for you related if you had to give a piece of advice to the finance minister today what would it be 
No, I don't think I don't think at in in any era or indeed in any country we pretended to have any advice for the government of the country. It's above our pay grade. There are uh, highly qualified people in uh, in in New Delhi. In fact, some of my friends uh, are in the finance ministry and in the PMO. Some mm-hmm. very good friends are there who are doing a doing a great job. Um, I don't think I have any advice for the government. I think my my simple suggestion to those who are listening is. um have faith in this economy rather than obsessing as a lot of people do a lot of people in our country they intertwine politics and economics yeah. right they they see politics and economics through the same lens and and the popular media discourse encourages that and i think that's very dangerous yeah. um uh, i'm not so sure that indian politics and indian economics are as tightly intertwined as the newspapers or the public discourse would have you believe and i think for those who are watching it's very dangerous to mix up your politics and your economics especially as a student of economic history we know these are cycles that have more fundamental roots land labor capital yes. technology productivity beautifully put yeah. politics is a is a is a more is a is a different lens i'm not saying yeah. it's a superficial lens it has its place yeah. but it's not as relevant to the Uh, arthik sthiti of the country to put it in technical jargon as a lot of people like to make it yeah. uh where do you get the time to write all these books you got uh, kids at home so flights you got a full time job and you're writing yeah. a whole lot of books you you know uh, you're making us all look bad here yeah? so we so 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 part of it is flights so 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 we uh, you know there's no much to do on flights right so so it is tight and second is the there's a broader team at Marcellus, which does a lot of writing, and uh, and everybody, you know, the the team has worked together now for almost approaching twenty years. We're quite old now, actually. So so we've all written so much, and we know know we know each other's thinking and how our writing style is so similar that it feels like one voice. So when you read Diamonds in the Dust, it feels like one voice, but it's actually three different people writing. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, when you uh, read, say, Coffee Can Investing, it feels like one voice, but again, it was three of us writing. um so so yeah so you know the group of people who work together for a long period of time and hence our writing styles and our thinking is a better of a verse pretty similar so uh, i want to end with of course a peter thiel question right hmm. it fits uh, so what's the one truth you believe in that no one agrees with you on um that that monopolies are the businesses that make a lot of money and they are the other businesses that change the world um so for some reason there's this uh, public perception both in the western world and in india that monopolies are somehow evil yeah. but uh, but you know we are talking to each other on zoom which i think would be the the the, the most dominant uh, uh, video video conferencing platform today uh, i do a, my search on google right uh, and, and you just can just join the join the dots there most of our office software and our cloud is on microsoft so so no it's not just technology we've dis- I've discussed in lots of it uh, 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 webinars asian paint speed light mm-hmm. uh, my kids have grown up drinking nestle so it's a, it's a, i think there's a big dichotomy between how we perceive business and how actually business works and how the world changes yeah when you only get the headlines if you whip the big boys Uh, no right. one will get the headline, so you know they are the favorites to get whipped. Right. So I, 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 you know, I kind of agree with you, and especially in a country like India, where I think, uh, uh, at least in the past, looking back, the the additional risks were so many. It just makes sense to go with large, proven franchises, which you know have sustained over time. Right. They're they're also riding a cycle, and that's great. You uh, provided provided the franchise is reinvesting in its future, provided yeah. the franchise is disrupting itself in the industry, that's you come right. from beautifully. And again, diamonds in the dust. Uh, we have brought this yeah. point out, and hopefully, in the years to come, we'll be able to articulate this more fully. Yeah. That yeah. so, uh, yeah. yeah. I want to uh, uh, get one point across uh, as we end. So, uh, I just did a Google search right before just getting into the room. and i came across an economic times article which spoke of you admitting uh mistakes in two stocks positioning mistake positions sizing mistakes and i don't care what the stock is i don't care anything what what i really really liked and found refreshing is uh the fact that you spoke about it and you explained yourself and i think uh 
I think people understand no one's perfect. Right. And if you explain to them where you went right and why you went wrong, et cetera, et cetera, you know, I think that's such a good practice. And I think you've found companies like that in your life where you're looking at companies, what they say, whether they do that, what they don't do, are they able to explain? And you're doing it yourself. So, you know, I think that was a wonderful, wonderful very, thing. To very, very kind of you to spot that. Very kind of you. Thank you. And, and, I'm, and I'm so grateful you took the risk of doing this first episode <laughs> with me. I hope it went off well. Okay. And, best uh, of luck to you. Best of luck to the to the show. I'm sure the show will will be useful for the audience. Thank you very much for doing this, Saurabh. You okay. know, we'll be in touch, and uh, all the best for all your future endeavors. And do convey our best regards and best wishes to your daughter. Yeah. Uh, either she's going to become the best chef or the or, or a great business person. That's for sure. We might come to you with some brownies and fudge cakes. Ever open doors are open, and I'll I'll even happily pay the hundred percent margin price. Fantastic, <laughs> just Thank to encourage her. <laughs> Thank you. Wonderful talking to you. Bye Thank, Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Investor Hour. I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about this episode or the podcast in general. Be sure to write to me at info at equitymaster.com. That's i n f o at equitymaster.com. Thank you once again and see you at the next edition of the Investor Hour. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.